0: In this series, back to where we're at, uh, this series called Let Us Here, uh, we began this series last week talking about the fact that listening is a very important life skill, wouldn't you say? I mean, it's very critical, it's very important that we are are, are listeners, and sometimes uh, we don't listen well because we get distracted right? And it's pretty easy to do. We have a lot of things in our world, in our lives today that are trying to distract us, trying to get our attention. And so maybe we're not listening like we ought to be listening, you know, listening, you know, number one priority is listening to the Holy Spirit, listening to what God wants to speak into our lives. But but at a, you know, a a more uh, personal note, uh, even in our family lives, in our relationships with other things, listening is so important. All right, and if you don't believe that, you've never been married, right? Uh, because we, we talk a lot, uh, Lynette and I do a marriage group we've been doing for years that, uh, you know, part of part of that, what we talk about is, you know, it's important to have you know, your spouse's undivided attention when it comes to uh, spending time together and communicating. And I know that there is nothing that aggravates my wife more. Uh, sweet little Annette, yes, she does get aggravated uh, but uh, with me, uh, primarily me most of the time. But, but she, she can get pretty frustrated if she feels like she doesn't have my undivided attention and I'm not listening. You know, and so ESPN's of the devil, the ball games of the devil. Um, you know, I might, I might be watching the, the game, uh, Live PD. Uh, now, when Live PD comes on, she just gets up and walks out of the room. She just leaves me there with it because she knows any any uh, relationship that she and I have is going to be on hold until that goes off. And, uh, you know, or I might be looking at my phone or whatever. It's just little things like that that, that she feels like she's not she doesn't have my attention and i'm not paying attention to her and and listening well that's you know what this series is about jesus would tell these parables he would he would tell these stories he would teach these valuable not just life lessons but eternal lessons and he would be sharing these and he at, at times we'll see him you know speak to the fact he wants to get our attention right? He wants our undivided attention, and so often we'll see Jesus say, whoever has ears, let them hear, right? And he'll be going along, and every once in a while, you just kind of see him pause and say, listen, and then he'll make his point, right? Because he knows how important it is for us to listen, You know, And pay attention to what uh, he's saying to us and he's trying to teach us. And before we get to our text today, uh, and you'll understand this a a little bit uh, better later on. But as I was studying this, I began to think about the things that I treasured when I was a kid. Because the parables that we're going to be looking at today are talking about the treasure of the kingdom of God. And I began to think about things that I treasured uh, when I was a kid. And when I was a kid, and some of you will know exactly what I'm talking about when I say this. Evil Knievel was a big deal, right? How many of you remember Evil Knievel, right? That dude was straight up awesome and crazy. And he was a big deal. I mean, he was such a big deal that, and for those of you that don't know who Evil Knievel is, I'll just tell you briefly, he was this guy that would do these motorcycle jumps, okay? Uh, like line up like 50 cars, and he would have ramps, and he would jump over the cars, or he'd line up, I remember one time, like 16 buses, and he, you know, ramped and jumped over them uh, on, a, on a motorcycle. And, and it was like the 1970s version of X Games, okay, for those of you that are much younger know what x games are uh, i mean this this dude as a kid uh, i never missed a jump because all of his jumps like this were on tv Right on the wide world of sports, <laughs> and so you know, if we, they would promote it, and you would know Evil Knievel was about to. But sometimes it'd be at night, you know, during the week, it'd be on a Tuesday night or, or whatever, and all of America would be sitting in, one, in front of the TV. You know, we had three awesome channels back then, and, and so we'd be all, you know, watching, gathered around this on, on TV, and, and I never missed it. I was drawn to his reckless abandon. Right, I, I was drawn to these daring risks that he would take, and not only that, but he often crashed. He often would make the jump; it would be a successful jump, and then he'd crash at the end. And you know, he almost always broke something, and you know, always seemed to get up and walk away. But but anyway, so I, you know, I kind of idolized evil Knievel. We had evil Knievel toys and all kinds of evil Knievel stuff, and so I idolized him. And so since I didn't have a motorcycle, because people who lived in in the ghetto where I lived, we didn't. Have Have motorcycles. If you saw a motorcycle in the ghetto, it was stolen. And and so we didn't have motorcycles. And so since I didn't have the motorcycle, I had the next best thing. I had a motocross bicycle, right? And it had the little plastic uh, uh, fake gas tank on the bar there, you know. And so uh, I, I would often live out my dream of being Evil Knievel on my bicycle. He, Evil Knievel would sometimes wear a scarf around his neck, and sometimes I'd sneak a towel out of the house and i you know, put it around my neck. And, you know, I'd spend all these hours on my bicycle. My bicycle was my most prized possession that I had and, uh, you know, ramping things, dirt mounds and all, you know, just I probably rode thousands of miles on, on bicycles as a kid. And as I thought about it, I thought, you know, my bike was probably the most treasured possession that I had as a child. Uh, it, it was probably my bike. And, and as a child, if you told me that I had to give up everything that I had, if I had to, if everything that I had was going to be taken away from me except for one thing, and I gave this a lot of thought, I thought, you know what? It would probably have been my bicycle. If I could have just held on to one thing, you could have had all my other toys, you could have had my sister. I mean, you could have, who's here today, and I'm kidding, by the way, but you know, if I had to give it all up and just keep one thing, the one thing that I would have kept as an eight year old child would have been uh, my bicycle. Uh, And and so, as I was studying what we're going to be looking at today, it it could basically all be summed up like this, and I'm basically giving you the point of the sermon at the beginning. So, for those of you that want to nap or want to go to the bathroom, it's okay this week, you can do that. Uh, (laughs) Here it is. The value that you place on something can be determined by what you are willing to give up for it. All right? And when Jesus talked about in Scripture, when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, he often talked about the fact that finding this, finding the kingdom of God, was like finding something of greatest value. All right? Something that was so valuable that you would be willing to give up everything else for it. You'd be, you'd be willing to leave everything else behind in order to, to get this the kingdom of God and it's this treasure and so we're going to see today that he taught this through uh and you'll be grateful to know the two shortest parables that are recorded in scripture so we're going to look at both of them today here Matthew chapter 13 starting at verse number 43 is where we're going to pick it up today and here's what Jesus is saying starting at the end of verse 43 again whoever has ears let them hear right he's saying listen I want your undivided attention today for about the next 30 minutes. I want you to hear what I want to say. The kingdom of our heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now, the second parable is in verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And so we see two very similar stories making one distinct point, all right? In the first parable, uh, the man stumbles onto this treasure randomly, okay, We don't know what he's doing in the field. We just know he's in the field. Maybe he'd been hired to plow the field. Maybe he was just passing through the field, taking a shortcut to get home or whatever. We don't really know why he's there. We just know that he finds a priceless treasure in the field. And honestly, who hasn't dreamed of that, right? I mean, who hasn't dreamed of, uh, of, you know, we get excited if we find a dollar bill laying in the parking lot, right? And so who hasn't dreamed of, of finding a treasure? Some people spend lots and lots of money and lots and lots of time trying to find a treasure. This morning after early service, and I talked about this, somebody came up to me and he said, I gotta tell you, he said, I picked up a hitchhiker one time. He said, a long, long time ago. He said, I picked up a hitchhiker and this guy literally had a map of stone County." Ca- County, and there was a place in Stone County where there was supposedly a hidden treasure. And this guy is trying to hitchhike to Stone County to find the hidden treasure. Right? Didn't even have a car. He's walking to Stone County, Mountain View. If you don't know where Stone County is, all right. And, and but a lot of people spend lots of money and lots of time trying to find hidden treasures on this earth. But anyway, this guy finds this priceless treasure. And instead of just taking it, I don't, I don't know, we don't know any more than what we know here, right? He takes it and he buries it again. And then he goes and finds the landowner, and you know. Hey, man, hey, you know, I see this piece of ground you got out here. It, you know, it don't look too great. You know, it looks pretty much like just a, a worthless, you know, piece of dirt out there. Would you be willing to sell it? And so obviously they agreed uh, on a price here. And evidently, it's quite a bit because in order to purchase it, what does it say? The man has to sell everything that he has in order to buy it, right? And then come, I believe, the three most important words in this parable, and they're this. In his joy. In his joy, right? Think about it. Normally, if you had to walk away from everything that you owned, you would be devastated, right? Right? I've seen people lose everything that they own in a house fire. Devastated. I've seen families lose an entire family in an accident or a situation. Devastated. But this man is what? He's elated with joy. Because why? Because the treasure that he is gaining is far more valuable than anything that he ever owned in the past. Right? It's far more valuable than anything that he is walking away from. And this, Jesus says... It's like finding the kingdom of God. Now, the second parable here makes the same point, but there are a few small differences here, right? This time, the one who discovers the treasure actually has been looking for it, right? He's been looking for the treasure. He didn't just stumble upon it uh, because he's looking for it because it's his job. It's what he does for a living. This man made a living of buying and selling uh, pearls. But this one, this one is so valuable that he is willing to sell all the others. He's willing to sell everything else in order to buy this one that he has found here. So we have two men, right? One who wasn't looking for a treasure and the other one who was obsessed looking for the treasure but both of them they encounter something right both of them encounter something of such priceless value that it makes everything else in their lives look worthless by comparison to what they found and, and and this jesus said it's this that is like discovering the kingdom of god this is what it's like to have a relationship with jesus christ This right here, and I believe these two small little parables can teach us three huge things about the kingdom of God and a relationship with God. The first is this, the kingdom of God is hidden. The kingdom of God is hidden, and some of you might just, when you see that, you know, kind of go, whoa, wait a minute, what are you you talking about? But, But it's a common theme all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, and we see it here. The Gospel is hidden, and most people miss it because it's hidden, and I want to explain that. Think about it. The glory of God, right? Who God is and who God was, was hidden in the earthly body of Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, He wasn't physically impressive, right? He, He didn't look like what you might think the Son of God would look like. Let me put it like that. Okay, if you were to picture what the Son of God might look like, and you see Jesus, you would go, nah, probably not. Right? That's probably not him. And so he entered, think about it, he entered this world through the messy process of childbirth. That's how he came. And he grew up among the poorest of the poor people. Right? He dressed in ordinary clothes. He ate ordinary food. He had an ordinary job. He was a carpenter. Right? He never led an army. He never sat on a throne. He never won an election. He never received an award. And for those reasons, a lot of people missed who he was. right? But, but, but we know God did this intentionally, didn't he? God, God did this intentionally because if, he would have, if Jesus would have come to this earth the way people would have been looking for the Son of God to come, if people would have come to this earth, I mean, if Jesus would have come to this earth as royalty, what would have happened? Well, people would have been attracted to him, right? But for all the wrong reasons. And, and so, uh, you know, he hid his power in a very ordinary, common, earthly disguise so uh, that only those who were pure of heart uh, would accept him. And, and not only that, but there is, there is so much power in the story of how he came. There is so much power in the story of Jesus, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. There is so much power in His Word. We, we've learned that the, 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 the power of the gospel has the power to make people new, to give people new life. The words of Jesus have the power to give new life. This is what we saw last week. We talked about the fact, if you weren't here last week, I'm sorry, but we, we talked about the fact that Jesus' Word is, is like a seed, right? And, and basically what I do up here every Sunday is I, I'm just sowing seed, right? And where it lands, uh, well, you just need to go back and listen. I'm not re-preaching that sermon. But anyway, the, the Word of God uh, is like a seed. It's so small that it could be hidden under your foot or crushed under your foot. But it has the potential... Right? To become something that is so powerful that it grows into a mighty tree and its roots can split concrete in half. And we saw an example of that last week. That's how powerful it is. And it's so powerful, but yet it is so simple that even a child can understand it. Right? It is so powerful and so profound, but yet so simple that those kids back there in children's church this morning can receive it and understand it and have a full knowledge of who Jesus is and what he is uh, to them. And, And think about it. Today, the beauty and the power of this word, the beauty and the power of this gospel message, where's it hidden now? Well, it's hidden in the mouths and the hearts of ordinary people just like you and just like me. See, we carry the seed. We're the ones that have it now. And so it's hidden in us. Does God use the powerful to do his work? Does God use the absolute most talented people to do his work? Does God use the most popular people in our society, in our world today, to do his work? Well, he can and he may at times. But for the most part, we've seen it time and time again all throughout the Scripture. What people does he use to do the most powerful work that he does on this earth? He uses the common and the ordinary, the uneducated. The, the people that everyone else would go, I don't know about that guy, right? That's the guy he wants to use. And, and so uh, we've seen it time and time again. He uses common, ordinary people like you and me to do his greatest work. There's a passage of Scripture, scripture uh, in 1 Corinthians that Paul wrote that every time I read this, I, I'm like, Paul knew me. Paul wrote this about me, <laughs> right? Uh, look at it in uh, chapter 1, verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influ- influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what? The foolish. (laughs) The foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Why? So that no one may boast before him. And honestly, I think people, you know, probably come to our church sometimes and visit here. Last Sunday was a train wreck. We had the biggest crowd we've had in a while. It always is. The Sunday after school starts back. And I was as distracted as I have ever been. Uh, If you go back and listen to it, uh, it was a train wreck. Uh, But God used it for whatever reason. But, you know, I think sometimes people probably walk in here, they look at me or meet me or hear me, and they go, you know what, I'm not buying what he's selling because that guy's dumb as a box of rocks, right? Uh, You know, it's obvious he's not very educated. but, But don't miss this. Don't miss this. He doesn't want you to be drawn to me. That's not the point. That's not what he's about. He don't want you to be attracted to me. He don't want you to be drawn to me. He doesn't want you to be impressed with me. He wants you to be drawn to him. And you can look at me and go, if that huge mess up can do anything for God, surely he can use me in powerful ways. Right? He doesn't want to draw people to the preacher or the teacher. He wants people to be drawn to him and attracted to him. So he hides his glory, what? In broken instruments. He hides his glory. He hides the seed in in, in broken vessels. Right? Right? That, that are willing. He hides his glory in the common and in the ordinary. And those who are looking for something greater, think, those who are looking for something flashy, those who are looking for only superficial beauty, miss it. They miss it, right? The second thing is this, the kingdom of God is the only thing that will ever bring you real joy. The kingdom of God will bring Us real joy. And I told you that in his joy may be the most important words in these two parables right here today. Because normally, if you told a man that he was going to be losing everything, he wouldn't be happy about that. Right? More than likely, he would be devastated about that. But this man, this man, what? He is filled with joy because the value of what he is gaining, the value of what he's about to get, far outweighs the sorrow of anything that he's losing or got to give up, right? So can I just ask you today, since you're here, can I just ask you this question? Is this how you would describe your encounter with the kingdom of God? Is this how you would describe your relationship uh, with Jesus Christ, that it was like finding a treasure that brought you so much joy that you gladly would leave everything else if that's what it required to find it and to have it would you be willing to do that because honestly today i think a lot of people view the kingdom of god and view christianity and following jesus in a whole different way i believe if we were honest some of you here today uh would would view christianity or following jesus like it's this never-ending to-do list right because they're always asking me to work in the nursery. They're always asking me to do this. They're all, you know, do that, and do this, and do this. And, and some people look at their relationship with Jesus as just a, a long to-do list. It's, you know, or a never-ending list of things to, to feel guilty about, right? Uh, maybe some people view being a Christian kind of like being tied to a ball and chain that just weighs you down, but you got to drag it along with you, right? Because if you don't... If you don't drag the ball and chain along with you, you just very well might go to hell. And so that's kind of how we view it. You know, it's just a, it's just a burden I've got to carry. Right? It's something that, that I've got to do. But, and, and that kind of mindset, you know what? That just shows us how little we understand who Jesus is. That, that just goes to show us how, how little we understand about who he is and what he is offering us. All right? And, and this parable... Right? It defies this notion uh, in our culture that God gets upset with us uh, because we want to be happy. You know, a lot of people think to follow Jesus means we'll never be happy again. We can never have fun, right? Because we're Christians now, and we've got to act like, <laughs> you know, we're holy. I don't know. Maybe you need to I, I, I want to go back to the verse 44. Maybe you need to write this down in your notes or maybe you need to write this in your Bible right here. I want you to underline in his joy in verse 44 and write this out beside it. God wants me to have fun and be happy. (laughs) Huh? And we're going to have fun at this church. And if you're not about fun, you probably aren't going to like it here. All right. Because God wants us to have fun and God wants us to be happy. All right. All right. Because honestly, some people think, and honestly, I used to think that sin and the things of the world were fun, right? And and I thought this, God wants me to walk away from all those fun things and not have fun anymore. That's what I used to think. God wants me to walk away from all the things that are fun and get religious. That's what I needed to be. I needed to get religious. And and, and we might think, well, you know, I I guess it's better to be miserable and be a Christian than to spend eternity in hell, (laughs) you know? Uh, But don't miss this. Jesus is saying, listen, listen. Jesus says, it's this treasure. It's this kingdom of God. It's a relationship with me. It's following me. It's walking with me. That is the only way you can be happy. (laughs) That's the only way that you can have joy or you can be happy. Right? Listen, it doesn't glorify God if we serve Him out of obligation. It doesn't glorify God if, if we serve Him out of some kind of duty or burden that, you know, to, to bear or whatever. It's only in Him that our joy can be made complete. Right? Nehemiah said the joy of the Lord, that's our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The strength of your will is not enough for you to be a follower of Jesus. Just let me tell you, right? The strength of your will is never enough to keep you faithful. You have to be consumed by a greater joy and understand that joy, right? Those who have made it for the long haul with Jesus are those who have him as their joy in their life. And so let me ask you this morning, have you discovered him as your treasure? Is he your treasure? Right? And I believe that's why so many people are so miserable in their life today is because they haven't fully come to understand and realize and find the treasure and what the treasure really is and what it has to offer. And so they have no idea the potential joy that can be found in being a follower of Jesus and being a Christian. I want you to think about it. Like this, have you ever experienced something in your life that brought new joy? Something that you have never experienced before and you didn't know it was out there, but you experienced and you went, wow, that was awesome, right? Kind of makes everything before seem like it was, you know, nothing, right? Maybe, maybe, uh, uh, maybe you fall in love, and you thought, man, I never knew that I could love somebody like that. You know, maybe, maybe you have a kid. I, I, I tell people all the time, you, you do not understand love until you have children, <laughs> right? And, and so you have a kid and you're like, wow, I get it. I get it. Or, or maybe you get a new job and you think, wow, you know what? I never knew what I was missing. I never knew there were jobs out there that were this awesome. Right? So you experienced something that brought a new joy like you'd never experienced or, or, or known before. And, and if you went back and you tried to explain that to your former self at a younger age, you wouldn't get it. Right? You, you, you wouldn't understand it. I, I, let me give you an example. Back to, back to the bicycle. All right? Let's say we turn back time. I've got that song in your head now, some of you. Huh? If we could turn back time to the 8-year-old Steve... And you would tell eight-year-old Steve that one day he was going to meet someone named Lynette and that she would be more wonderful than his bicycle. (laughs) I'd be like, is Lynette a girl? Because girls got cooties. Um, See what I'm saying? You know? And then you would, go by, you would go on and you'd tell eight-year-old Steve, and then you know what? Seven years after y'all get married, which is so gross, but seven years after y'all get married, y'all are going to have kids, and they are going to be so much more awesome than your bicycle. Right? And, and, and you, would, you would say to eight-year-old Steve, if you only knew what the future held, if you only knew this is your future, you should look forward to it. Well, what would eight-year-old Steve say? You would try to convince me all that, and I would look at you, and I'm almost positive and say, I think I'd rather have my bike. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want that deal. I, I'd rather have my bike because that's what brought eight-year-old Steve joy. Right? That was the only joy I knew was in the treasure that I had, and that was this bicycle. But present day, 51 year old Steve, right, would say, you know what, little guy, you're going to experience some things, and you're going to be a part of some things that make that bicycle seem like nothing. Matter of fact, I know you can't even imagine this now. A 51-year-old Steve would tell 8-year-old Steve, by the time you're my age, you won't even be able to ride a bike. (laughs) Huh? (laughs) But is that not us? I mean, is that not us? That's all of us. God offers us the future, right? He offers us this real happiness and this real joy. And essentially, what we say in return is, "Whether be a bike? And that brings us to the third and final last thing today. The kingdom of God requires leaving it all. Notice that both men in these parables had to leave literally everything else to possess the treasure. All right? That's the requirement. There's no negotiations. That's the conditions to give it all up in order to receive the treasure. But a lot of people want to have the treasure in the field without ever letting go of anything. Right? We, we think that we can have Jesus and not sell everything, so to speak. We think there's some way to negotiate that deal. Right? So rather than surrender fully to Jesus, we do the next best thing we get, that we think, and we get religious. Right? We, we start acting the way we think a religious person ought to act, or a follower of Jesus ought to act. And, and religion is really something that we just use to kind of try to pay off God, if you will. Right? Religion is where you do the minimum requirement to hopefully keep God on your side. You know, I I want to do the minimum that I have to do to to keep God liking me, right? Uh, Because, you know, you never know. Listen, that is not repentance. And that is not joy, living a life like that. That's not repentance, and that is not joy, and that's not what Jesus is talking about here. God is not interested in people who get involved in Christianity to keep him off their back. He's interested in those who see him as this treasure of greater value or or anything else in this earth, of greater value, and will gladly leave it behind if he asks and walk away from it all to have the treasure and to possess him. And and here's the deal. When you surrender your life to Jesus, just like little eight-year-old Steve had no idea what the future holds. When you surrender your life to Jesus, you have no idea what lies ahead for you. You don't know where Jesus is going to lead you. You don't know where Jesus is going to take you. You don't know how Jesus is going to use you. You don't know how you're going to even have the strength to be able to do it. You don't get it. You don't understand any of that. Right? But when you surrender your life to Jesus, here's what you're doing. You are recognizing that Jesus is the one treasure that you don't ever want to be without. He is the one treasure that you cannot live without. You've got to have it. And I want to close with a, a great story this morning. I believe summarizes everything that we've talked about here today. There's a grave in Cairo, Egypt. It's in a remote location. You would never find it unless you were looking for it. There's a small tombstone marking the grave and the spot and identifies it as the final resting place of a man named William Borden. Some of you may recognize the Borden name. uh, But William was a young man in college that was to be the heir of what was known at the time as Borden Milk Company uh borden still a big company but back then uh at this time back in the 1920s it was one of america's largest companies uh and william borden was to be the heir of it he was to get it all and to be in full control he went to college in yale he actually graduated from yale in 1909 and he was basically upon his graduation going to be offered the leadership of this company but here's the deal while william was in college william got saved he came to know Christ as his Lord and Savior. He became a, a follower of Jesus and a, a Christian. And the story goes that he was so overwhelmed by the gospel of Jesus and the relationship that he had accepted and he had with Jesus. He had supposedly written on the inside of his Bible, inside the flap where some of us keep notes, he had written this No rivals. No rivals. And as he was approaching graduation from college, he began to feel uh, this strong call on his life to become a, a missionary. Specifically, a missionary to Muslims. And, and he uh, shared this with his parents. And as you can imagine, his parents were very unhappy about this revelation. And the fact that he wanted to walk away from everything to be- become a missionary. And that he was making a huge mistake. And the story goes that during this time, he wrote again on the inside flap of his Bible, no refusals. No refusals. So he went to Egypt to be a missionary. He walked away from it all, became a missionary, and after four months of ministry, there he came down with spinal meningitis. And he died at the age of 25 on a ship that was taking him to receive medical assistance. On that ship with him was a friend that was going with him and assisting him uh, while they were trying to get there. And while he was there, knowing that he was about to die, the friend asked him, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? You had the opportunity to be one of the wealthiest men in the United States you had the opportunity to have a company that was worth millions of dollars but you walked away from it to follow God and now four months later you're about to die and he replied to his friend I have no regrets And on his tombstone in Cairo is his name and a very short description of his life that's followed by this simple statement. (laughs) Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Apart from Christ, there is no explanation for what this kid did. (laughs) Those who have ears, let them hear. Listen, when you understand the value of who Christ is, when you understand that this kind of life really does make sense. It does. He is the treasure in the field worth leaving everything for in order to have it and follow him. He's worth it. Right? This is what it means to be a Christian right here. No rivals, no refusals. And if you'll live that life right there in the end, I promise you there will be no regrets. My question for you today is this Have you come to this place? Have you come to this place? Have you received the treasure of Jesus in this way where you can say, there's no rivals for him in my life. There's no refusals. There's no excuses in my life. And if so, I can assure you that someday you're going to get to a place where you experience the joy that we read about here today and go, and because of that, I absolutely have no regrets. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning. And I'm going to make this as simple and easy as I possibly can today, giving you an opportunity to respond. And I know it may sound a little strange, but this morning I just want you to empty your hands. Anything that you're holding, anything that you have in your hands, I just ask that you just lay it down right now and put your hands out in front of you. Maybe lay them in your lap or just hold them out in front of you. And what I want to do this morning is I want to go through a list of things today that the Holy Spirit might be saying to you, might be speaking to you. And and if you're ready to obey Him in one of these areas that I mentioned, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about that, I, I want you to not only to respond to God in your heart, but I want you to also just open your hands, symbolic today, that you're giving up control of that area in your life. And you're surrendering that to Him. For some of you that are here today, some of you have actually never received the treasure. You've actually never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you've never made that decision. And today, right now, you've stumbled upon the treasure. And today, you're going to just say, Jesus... I'm willing. I'm going to give you my whole life. Save me. I want to receive you today as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, just show that right now by opening your hands. Just open your hands and say, I receive you today as my Lord and Savior. For some of you that are here today, you've accepted Christ. You made that decision. You made that surrender at some point in time, but you've never been baptized. And Scripture is crystal clear that His Word says, repent and be baptized. Be saved and be baptized. And so that's what He's telling you to do. And I want you right now to just open up your hands and right now and say, yes, I'm ready to start following. And I know that's my next step. And you would just open your hands, symbolic of the fact that you're giving that to Him and you're going to be obedient and do what He's asking you to do. Some of you that are here today, you've accepted Christ and you're a student or maybe you're a teenager that's here today and you've never really given Him your whole life. You've accepted Him as your Savior, but you've really never given all of you back to Him. You've never really said to Him, I'll go wherever you go. I'll do whatever it is that you ask me to do. My whole life, my whole being belongs to you. You tell me where and I will go. Right now, just open up your hands and say, yes, yes, you can have it all. You can have my whole life. Tell me what you want me to do. I'm available. I surrender the rest of it to you. Some of you, God's been telling you to get involved in building his kingdom financially, to give the first and the best. Scripture is so clear about this. that we're to give the first and the best of what he's given you to give that back to him. And it does not make sense to you. It doesn't work on your budget. It doesn't work on a spreadsheet. And so you've been resisting today you just need to open up your hands and say yes it's yours it's yours I'm committed today to surrender to you whatever it takes whatever you ask someone's here today and you're in a relationship that you know good and well God does not approve of and you know that it is not according to God's will and God's plan for your life. And this morning, you just need to open up your hands. Say, yes, I know. Yes, God, I will surrender this to you because you are my treasure. (laughs) You're the treasure so just open up your hands today and and surrender it to God today. Maybe it's one of these things I mentioned or maybe it's something else today that I didn't name, but I believe with all my heart that God is speaking through his Holy Spirit to your heart and there's something in your life that he's speaking to right now and he says, this is it. I want control of it. You need to surrender this to me and whatever that is right now, you know what it is and you just open your hands today and say, here it is, God. I surrender it. I give you control. And you know today that you need to do business with God. And you need to surrender some things to Him because He is the greatest treasure. And this morning, I just want to ask you to stand with me and I want us to sing a song that we have sang all of our lives those of us that were raised in church I learned it in a little bitty Baptist church down in Conway but this morning I I just want us to confirm these commitments that we've made right there where we sit while we sing today and I believe you know the song "I I Surrender
1: All Oh to Jesus I surrender all
0: that just feels like they need to come to the altar. Maybe that's you today. You say, i got to nail this down before I leave this place. If that's you today, we're going to sing that one more time. That same verse and that chorus again, if you need to come, we'll pray with you before we close today. But I want you to come if you feel like that's what you need. i Surrendered control, maybe they've surrendered a situation. Or, God, I know you're doing work in this place today, and we praise you and give you the glory for that. I pray for the one that's here today that maybe for the very first time said, I'm just going to surrender my life to you. I can't imagine what that looks like, I can't imagine what the future holds. But I trust you with it, and I know that you will provide, you will bless, and in that there will be joy. (laughs) It's not a grind. It's not drudgery. The treasure brings joy. And I thank you for helping us to understand that a little better today, giving us some insight to how that looks and the hope that we have in the treasure. I just thank you for what you're doing here. I believe with all my heart that some people are doing business with you that you've been wanting to do for a long time. And so, God, I pray for those who have opened hands, those who have opened hearts, those who have come to the altar today, that as we get up to walk out of this place and to go out into this world where you've called us to be witnesses, you've called us to represent you, I pray that they would have a renewed sense of your presence, a renewed sense of this joy that can only be found in you, in a relationship with you. And while we've tried many other things and we've turned to other things and we've experimented with other things to try to find a happiness or this joy, God, today some people have come to realize the answer, the treasure, the, the solution is you. And so I pray that you'll help us as we go out from here because the world will try to discourage us. Satan will try to snatch the seed out of the ground that was sown today. But God, I pray that we would stand on the hope and the promise that we have in you and that you will give us the strength You will give us everything that we need to live this life that you've called us to live. There's nothing that we have to do or we can do in our own power. It's through, it's just through allowing you to work through us and us being obedient and us being surrendered to you. So I thank you for what you're doing here today. I thank you what you're going to do in the days ahead because of what's happening here today. And I still believe with all my heart that our best days are ahead of us. And we look forward to it. We look forward to the joy that's going to come that we could have never imagined or we've never experienced before. But we believe it's out there. So today, God, thank you. Thank you for these that have responded. Thank you for these that have been open to what you've said. Thank you for these that have heard and they've listened and they've responded. Be with us now as we go from this place that our lives would bring you glory. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I love you guys so much. Have a great day.